Hello there. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of the Pictures Out There podcast series with Lee Stewart and Dave Fogelman. Today, Lee and Dave will explore an essay from the book Aftershock. Aftershock is a 2020 collection of essays written by current thought leaders anticipating the future of our world. Lee and Dave will add their own perspectives to that stream of caring. And now, here's Dave and Lee. Thank you, Candy. Hi, I'm Dave. And I'm Lee. And welcome again to another edition, another episode of Pictures Out There. So, starting with this podcast, as we've previewed before, every few podcasts this season, we will expand our thinking about caring about the future. That's our topic today, with the discussion of one or more essays from the 2020 book, Aftershock, which is a series of essays that were written on the 50th anniversary of the 1970 book, Future Shock, by Alvin Toffler. So we will first share some key themes from an essay in Aftershock, and then we're going to show briefly how those themes complement or are connected to some of the pictures out there model elements. Then we're going to talk about the themes. They're really interesting. They're fun. They're insightful to us. And we hope they are to you, present and future listeners. Yeah, Dave, and we hope these discussions will serve at least two purposes. uh, The first of which is to connect our own thinking about the future with other people today who are thinking about the future and who care very deeply about the future. And we think another purpose is that we'll further invite each of you to join this ongoing conversation or this thought stream about what you think should happen in our world and move toward a better future through our own lives, our own pictures, and our own actions. So the first essay that we're going to explore is actually by the editor of Aftershock. His name is John Schroeder. John, I believe we're pronouncing your name correctly. Uh, John Schroeder. John's brief bio is in the 2020 book. There's a brief bio about each of these essayists. And the bio describes John as executive director of the Abundant World Institute, co-author of Moonshots, Creating a World of Abundance. He's also the publisher of Popular Electronics, Mechanics Illustrated, and Popular Astronomy magazines, and he's an award-winning music producer. And this bio was in 2020. We're sitting here in 2022. John has probably done some more things since then. I'm sure he has. That's (laughs) a pretty cool bio. It is a pretty neat bio. Sign me up for the Abundant World Institute. Yeah, exactly. So let's visit about a few of the key themes that John explores in his essay, Creating a Future of Abundance, Getting to the Heart of the Matter. We've been careful, by the way, when we're going through some of these things where we are quoting John's essay. We've just been very careful when we are abbreviating John's quotes some to ensure that we've not changed the intent, meaning, or purpose of John's statements. We want to say that, and we're going to do that with each of these essays that we cover in future podcasts. But we want to just emphasize we've been careful not to change the meaning of John's points. So let's start off. John says, The state of the future will depend much less on the state of technology than the state of the human heart. To be sure, it's proving easier to change the weather than to change the human heart. Yet, as history shows us from time to time, the action of just one humble soul possesses the potential to release more world-changing energy than the splitting of the atom. End quote. 
So I think if you have been listening to these podcasts, you can imagine that Lee and I have smiles a mile wide when we're <laughs> reading something like this. And uh, I just love this quote. Yeah, it, there's tremendous wisdom in there. So let's just revisit a few highlights. The state of the future will depend much less on the state of technology than the state of the human heart. Let's just reflect on that for a moment. Don't we feel like we're Technology solves everything. That's our default setting. We're on this roller coaster of technology yeah. and we're helpless. We'll just, yes, we're helpless. We're slaves to it. Or on the more positive side, we'll invent a new gadget. We'll invent a new software platform. We'll invent something that will solve whatever problem everything. is before us. Yes. Yeah. 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 So we become addicted to technology throughout history. With the notion of changing the human heart, one of the things that I like to think of is, are we really needing to change our hearts? Are we really needing to do that? Or are we needing to get in touch with something that is dormant inside of us that we've allowed to sleep? Mm -hmm. And do we need to wake that part of our heart up to where we're sensitive, where we're paying attention to other people? Yeah, I had the same thought, Dave. Are we really in the business of trying to change our hearts? Mm -hmm. Or are we just trying to express our hearts, what's always been in them. And I imagine John, if he was here with us, would say, well, I'm talking about both of those things. I think so too. Yeah. 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 And so as he has said, I love too the notion of his history shows us from time to time, the action of just one humble soul. And we have with all of our discussions about pictures said, each of us have this power. And as we've talked about things like the, the math of kindness, mm -hmm. we, we each just doing our part we each have this power inside of ourselves to literally change the world. Absolutely. And it doesn't matter what our circumstances are, what background we're from. Every single one of us has equivalent power. So let's go on with another quotation from John Schroeder. He states, political parties have become nothing but the instruments of personal ambition. And to their ends, governments actually depend on the existence of an enemy. This is so vital to the preservation of power that if an enemy does not exist, they, governments, will create one. So I think there are numerous examples throughout human history. This is not a new idea. This has been going on for literally millennia, as long as the human species has existed. And I think another point we should reflect on here is that sometimes governments will create internal enemies if an external enemy doesn't exist or isn't obvious, mm. there will be an out group that may be targeted as an internal enemy, somehow a threat to our existence. Particularly countries that are wanting to be aggressive yes. and, and demonstrate aggression yes, and take over other lands, take over other nations. Yeah. Has there ever been a time where that's happened, where there hasn't been? Some enemy? Yeah. I mean, throughout human history, I suppose there are a few moments of peace around the world, but uh, that's rare, few and far between those instances. And isn't there always the time later on where those enemies become friends, mm -hmm. become allies, mm -hmm. or, or they are de-enemied? And then people kind of go, well, wait a minute. I, weren't they weren't they bad? Well, I mean, we spent all this energy around them being enemies and being bad. Now they're supposed to be friends, and it's like mm -hmm. they never they never were. That's right. Yeah, enemies the way you got they were just other people. I, I think there's a great 20th century example of that. So in World War II, one of the United States' greatest enemies was Japan. Right. Right. Oh my God! Everything Japanese was horrible. 
what, within 10 to 15 years after World War II? We were economic partners. The United States was supporting Japan's recovery from the war. And since that time, one could argue that we've been good friends from a nation state point of view. And in terms of really vilifying and making enemies of the other side, horrible things were done to Japanese Americans. Internment camps. Americans. Yes. Yes, during that. I think one of the things, Lee, and, and I uh, wouldn't stake my life on what I'm going to say, but I think it's it's either true or close to true. If we have, if we count the number of nations in the world today, there's what over two hundred. Yeah. And there's if anybody says, well, is there any country that doesn't have enemies? This, well, we would probably most of us would go, well, it's Switzerland. <laughs> there may be one country, but even Switzerland gets accused of deference to mm-hmm. different countries. It's just that's why we have borders, right? Borders have gotten created out of conflict, out of. Uh, aggression by one group or another. Yeah, political settlements. Yeah. So Schroeder continues. He states, how do we escape this conundrum and become the kind of people we need to be to bring about an abundant future? We escape it by discovering and actualizing our true selves by breaking from all imposed and assumed labels and affiliations. And one of the things I love about this, Lee, is it conjures up the Gandhi quote that ends, we need not wait to see what others do, that talks about getting in touch with everything that's inside you, Mm -hmm. and then taking that out to the world, and that says the world is waiting for that. Mm -hmm. And so this is is really a a way where he, he talks about actualizing our true selves. And the other thing I love about this is where he talks about breaking from our affiliations. And we've talked in that notion of common uniqueness about the need to understand your individuality and understand your connection to all humanity, and that these group affiliations that we inevitably do, while they can be very positive, they have the potential to actually harm our ability to connect. Yes. Okay, let's move on. John also says, self-fulfilling prophecies that perpetuate negative or destructive cycles, poverty, poor education, lack of opportunity, homelessness, crime, are never cast in stone. They are utterly at the mercy of one's will. A community, if it has the desire and will to do so, can realize a very different future. Identity is nothing but a nested set of narratives of who you are, what you believe, what you can and cannot do. In the end, whatever it is that you think you can or think you can't, You're right. (laughs) There's the power of belief, right? Yeah. If you think you can, you can. If you think you can't, you won't. Yeah. Yeah. And so it also conjures up to me a recent podcast about the math of kindness. Yes. And these these social problems that we just kind of, well, they're just... They, we believe they are cast in stone or again, we're on this roller coaster like we are with technology and there's nothing we can really do about it. We're just going to have to let the thing play out. Yeah. It's, it's out of our control now. We're yeah. on a runaway train. Just, yeah. just hold on tight. So I believe if Gandhi heard John's quote, he would go, yes. Yes. He'd go, <laughs> well done, young man. That's it. <laughs> exactly. So John also discusses the five whys, which we've alluded to in earlier podcasts as a means and technique of working through conflict or different perspectives. So if you recall that technique, we'll just overview it briefly. It's asking of ourselves and one another, why? Five consecutive times. So why do I feel good today? Oh, because I got a good night's sleep. Well, why did I get a good night's sleep? 
Oh, I had a free mind because a project that I'd been working on came to a conclusion. Well, why did that give you a free mind? And you see how it goes from there. It's a drill down technique. You get to the nugget. Yeah. 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 The first two or three responses are typically top of the head superficial, but if you continue down the tree of five whys, you'll get to a bedrock reason. A real insight typically doesn't happen at that service level. It happens at at the deeper levels. So John further says, an abundant future calls us to defy the tyranny of the majority and actually become the dreaded individual, unless there is a fundamental shift in the hearts and mindsets of individuals we will be consigned to a future of scarcity and conflict. The scarcity-driven mindset operates by lazy default thought habits. These are the mindsets that resist change, fear the future, and work to preserve the status quo, interestingly, no matter how bad that status quo is. Two things pop out to me in this quote, Lee. One is the phrase, the dreaded individual. Yes. And I I love the image that conjures up of any one of us being on this island by ourselves against this. And how often do we do that when we just feel something or think something? I know I do. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it is that you have that thought. uh, I do. And I think most of us do where, oh, I'm thinking this or I'm wanting to say something about this. I'm going to be the only I may be the only one who Mm -hmm. who says this or feels this way. And the response I'm going to get is either silence. Or you're going to get shouted down or dismissed. That's crazy. Why are you thinking that way? But what else are you going to do Mm -hmm. in this short, finite life? What else are Are you you going going to do do but be who you are? Mm -hmm. What what other choice is there? But we always try to come up with choices. Yeah, out of some kind of unknown motivation to fit in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the other phrase that is uh, really just interesting to me is and work to preserve the status quo. The no thing matter I matter how bad it is. Well, and I love that notion of you do have to work to keep things the same, same. because the momentum is for them to change. change. Yes. <laughs> and so it's not just a matter of us going, yeah, we'll just let things unfold. Lots of times we're working hard to try to keep things from changing in a natural and good way. Yes. Good. Yeah. John continues, a world where everything and everyone is equal is a very boring and uninspired and static world. We must, therefore, reframe the meaning of equality. For example, wherever we see the unequal application of the law, we must expose it and defeat it. Inequality is built into a system where outcomes are not and must not be guaranteed. Indeed, inequality is a motive force behind all personal growth and economic progress. Now, what do you suppose he means by a motive force behind personal growth and progress? I think it's the notion of, yeah, everybody ought to just be free to do what they want to do. And I I hear in that, you know, no safety nets, no nothing. You know, everybody needs to just go be free to go make of themselves what they can. Mm -hmm. And we're not all... He uses the term equal. I think there can be a difference, and you have to talk through, are we talking about being equal, or are we talking about being the same? And to me, it's kind of like, no, the notion that we're all different and unique, absolutely. Yes. The notion that as part of being human, we shouldn't have a degree, a significant degree of caring about one another 
where we don't let people fall, mm-hmm. uh, but yet to a degree, but yet they, beyond that safety net, I'll call it, they have freedom yes. to go make of their life what, what it is. And, and there's not a good or bad of that. It's it's them doing what they should do. Yeah, to create their own picture yeah. and try to realize that yeah. picture. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's this is one where, again, if John was here, I'd want to have some more dialogue. And, and words lots of times can be tricky, right? Equality. Mm-hmm. That's one. Equality and freedom are ones in our ear here, future listeners, that people mean different things when they say those. And whenever that comes up in conversation, you have to talk more. Yes. And understand the meaning. So, okay. So toward the end of John's wonderful essay, he quotes the poet Rainer Maria Rilke, And here's the quote. Already my gaze is upon the hill, the sunlit one. The way to it, barely begun, lies ahead. So we are grasped by what we have not grasped, full of promise shining in the distance. It changes us, even if we do not reach it, into something we barely sense but are. A movement beckons, answering our movement. But we just feel the wind against us. And I think he put this poem, I believe, it's certainly the way it resonates with me, into this essay to say, ignore the wind against you. Pay attention to the movement that's beckoning to you. Mm-hmm. Let that be what guides you. Let that create the energy for you. Yes. And so what if wind is against us? Yeah. And when we don't do that, it's because we're so focused on all the reasons not. Mm-hmm instead of thinking about the possibilities. Oh, it's easy to find and see and recognize and identify a million reasons not to move forward. Yeah. But as John said in his essay, motive force. Yeah. Well, that's the beckoning. Right. In this poem. Right. Exactly. And so John closes his essay with this item here that we will quote. Indeed, the wind is against us. The Tofflers knew this as well. Quote, combining rational intelligence With all the imagination we command, they implored, let us project ourselves forcefully into the future. So we hope this essay has been interesting to you, the snippets we've pulled out. We invite you to check out Aftershock. We'll we'll say that every time. Mm -hmm. All of these essays are Mm -hmm. fascinating, and John did a wonderful job of of editing this and, and spearheading it, obviously. There are people out there who think a lot about the future and care a lot about and care the future. a lot about the future and so if if you care and if you think a lot about it you are not alone yeah we're with you and there are a lot of other very smart very thoughtful very caring people who are with you too so i want to pick up on the last phrase of his essay actually the quotation directly from the tofflers and that phrase is we project ourselves forcefully into the future hmm that sounds a little bit about creating your own picture it kind of does and realizing (laughs) it because that is the way to carry your own ideas of what the world should be into the future with you so now we have come to the segment of our podcast uh, where we speak directly to the future. Hello, future. future hello, future, hello, future, hello. Future. Um, here's how we expect you got to a better place, a different place, future generations. Here's what we suspect that you had to overcome. So we've talked in this podcast about there are 230 some nation states on the planet as it exists in 2022. 
what are those? Those are arbitrary political lines, and I think in every single case, that prevent us from becoming a unified world that we can carry into the future with us. Here in 2022, we haven't figured our way out of that situation yet, but maybe at some point in the future, it literally is one world. Yeah, and John, a big theme of John's is abundance. Mm-hmm. And we do think uh, that you all believe in abundance. One of the fascinating things to me here in 2020 is we look back on history. History would suggest at any point in time people have seen abundance and they've seen scarcity. Yes. Well, what is what has history showed as time has marched on? Time has shown and history has shown that there's more and more stuff out there. Mm-hmm. There's more. Mm-hmm. There's more. There's more. Well, what does that tell us today? Right. Okay. The world is abundant. It is abundant. Love is abundant. Yes. It's all abundant. Yeah. Scarcity arises from competition. Mm -hmm. And we've talked in previous podcasts about that. So our hope and belief is that you in the future have figured a way around competition for resources, competition for power, et cetera. And we would think at whatever time in the future you all are listening to this, you will go, well, yeah, the world was much more abundant than you thought. And time in between when you were living and and our time now has shown that. And this is a big thing, you know, in the year, whatever it is, 2300 or whatever that might be, you would go and we know that our world is abundant. There's more out there for us than we realize. So instead of all there is, is what we discovered at our point in time, that notion of abundance and the promise of the future carries on. Yeah, that it will never go away, whether we're in 2022 or 4022, that will always exist. Yeah, so we think you had to overcome a mindset and a culture of scarcity, and we believe that you've done that. We think a way you got there was to really embrace the math of kindness, Because a way to think about the math of kindness as it's creating abundance. Exactly. Exactly. So we always like ending with a quote, as you know, this one. And we we have a a number of them that we love that we keep repeating periodically. And this is one. Nelson Mandela. It always seems impossible until it's done. So for your pictures, for your dreams, for your thoughts about what, what your picture is in an abundant world, It always seems impossible until it's done, and then it's done. So what are your pictures? What are your perspectives? What are your ideals? What is that influence at your disposal that's there for you to use? It always seems impossible until it's done. That's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. See you next time. Thanks for joining us today. As always, feel free to explore more about pictures out there at picturesoutthere.com and major social media sites. We hope you have the day of your dreams, the day of your pictures.